Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Um, Well, welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Um, We're currently in a series called uh, A Pilgrimage of Unfolding Grace. And what we're doing is um, just kind of inquiring of the Lord, like what what is my calling? Um, In the same way that we all have the same identity in Christ, but different personalities, we all have a common purpose as Christians, but our calling is the unique way that we fill out that purpose. And we're looking at it through the lens of story and personality and gifts over the next few weeks. And I'm really excited today uh, to be with my friend Shav. You know him. You love him. Give him a a warm You love him, right? 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 (laughs) When we'll do personality next week, we can talk about your need for uh, affirmation. Absolutely. And how I would have my cup full because I got here this week, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right, naturally. Cool, 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 you'd, right. be, you'd be good. Um, so uh, last week, um, I kind of highlighted like the, the main theses for each of these three coming three Sundays. And this is the one for this week. That story is the realm of the Father uh, who's with us and turns curses into blessings so that we might in turn tell better stories to the world. So that's what story is. Story is the place where the work of the Father resides. And, and I was remembering that one of the first pastors that I worked for, he defined grace. He said, grace is the hand of God placed upon you to empower you to do the things that you can't do by your own merit. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about grace. And so we learn to read our stories and see where was the hand of God placed upon me um, to help me to grow, to, to be redeemed, so that when I go out, into the world on behalf of God, I'm telling stories that might offer that same kind of grace to other people. So today we're going to be looking at John chapter 9. Um, we're going to read a lot of it, verses 1 to 34. Um, this is a great story. This is one of my favorites. Um, so I encourage you, it's going to be on screen if you want to read along, if you want to close your eyes and just kind of allow your imagination to take over, by all means. Um, And then as we do here as a community, I'm going to leave about a minute for you just to sit quietly with the story and just pray and ask the Lord, like, okay, what are you saying? What are you showing me? Like, what, what is it that's here for me to really explore? So, um, why don't you pray for us, Shav, and then I'll, I'll start the reading. Yeah. Father, we thank you. We honor you. We bless you. And Father, in our time today, would you, uh, would you come and be amongst your people as we already know that you are? Would you testify of the goodness of Jesus? Would you reveal Jesus more clearly to us even now? This is our prayer. This is our need in Jesus' name. This is John chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 1. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now already, this story is off to a really bad start. Do you kind of get, you pick that up a little bit? It's like, can you imagine like, I mean, imagine like a homeless person downtown Orlando and we're walking along and I just stand next to this guy and I'm like, so what's this guy's deal? You know what I mean? Because this was so much kind of like in their culture. It's like, we've got to have a clean explanation for why everybody's in the situation they are. And in doing so, we often dehumanize the very people that we're talking about. So that's what's happening. So uh, continuing on, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Father said, no, he only looks like him. Again, he's not like a person, (laughs) you know, he's just a thing to talk about in his own presence. Like, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man, which I often think about your son. I'm a cool man. I'm a cool man. It's a good song. (laughs) It's a great song. So how then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, 
the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said the man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They returned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? Is it, it was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent uh, for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opens his eyes, we, do, or we don't know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Yeah, you heard that? Somebody said, oof. Uh, okay, mom and dad. Um, that was what his parents said. He is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far uh, for, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped, uh, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you? lecture us and they threw him out so i'm going to give you one minute just to kind of sit with the lord there and say okay what are you saying what are you doing like how does this meet me in this present moment I really love this story because I think it beautifully highlights what we're talking about today, um, that we follow and worship a God who turns curses into blessings. And that's what I've said is kind of what we mean when we talk about the sovereignty of God. Um, that a lot of times when we think of sovereignty, we mean like uh, God is in control, which means God makes all things happen, right? And then you have to try to explain where evil comes into that and like, well, did God strick this person down? And that was a common thought in their day was like, that's why the disciples are asking this question. So, well, we know like if people are blind, like obviously they did something wrong or their parents did. So this guy's suffering. So God made him suffer. That's the usual. And a lot of us have that same kind of theology, like God is in control. So when things happen to us, it's because God ordained that thing to happen. And what Jesus is saying is like, no, it's not about, you know, he sinned or his parents sinned. He's blind so that uh, God can be given glory through what I'm about to do. And it's God's ability to enter into our stories, to take sin and brokenness um, and evil and make it, turn it for good, turn it for the kingdom. And what I love in this story, what we want to explore today is like this guy experiences an honest to goodness miracle and everybody around him knows it, but everybody is having such a hard time um, like accepting his testimony um, they're holding him back because they do what so many of us do is that we confuse the plot and the setting of our stories. That a lot of times we believe that where we come from is always who we're going to be. And we don't allow um, the hand of God, the, the work of grace in our lives to enter in and to help us to live dramatically new stories. And a lot of times the people around us will do the same thing. They'll look at us and be like, isn't that Tamara from the block? Like, 
is this the same person? You know what I mean? Like that's a lot of times what happens is like, surely it can't be that person because I know where they come from. I know who their people are. And so that's what we want to explore today. So first, we're going to talk about setting. Um, that we're shaped by the setting of our stories. Uh, and I've kind of broken it down. There's a lot of different ways you can look at setting, but we're going to kind of talk about like our families of origin, our culture, and our faith inheritance. So, um, Shav, one of the things that we've bonded over as friends is like we're both kind of third culture kids. Like we have a complex cultural identity. You know, for me, being Northern Irish, moving here when I was a little kid, and then moving around and never quite feeling like I kind of fit in a, like a standard like white American context. Um, but you also have a pretty complex cultural identity. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you, how you see that, that cultural identity and how, that's kind of, how you've maneuvered that through your life. Yeah. Um, so I, I was also shot from the block. Uh, so that resonates. Uh, that's part of the cultural uh, identity and the makeup. But no, I, it's funny. We moved here. I moved around a lot. My father was in the military. And so I was born in Texas. But between being born in Texas and getting to Florida, there was a lot of stops. It was Puerto Rico, uh, New York, New Jersey, the, the Puerto Rican pilgrimage. Um, so, you know, somebody is like, yes and amen, right? You kind of understand, like, oh, so you're New Eurekan, got it. I was like, no, I was actually born in Texas. Um, don't know anything about it. Um, nice place, it gets hot. But uh, yeah, so I got here. And I remembered when we got here, uh, we moved in a meeting and my grandmother moved in with us. So my dad worked three jobs, my, wa my mom worked two. Um, we were like a, an episode of uh, <laughs> Living Single at Times. It was like, who, who's here, who's there? It's like, how many jobs do you really have? There was always something happening. And so my four foot 10 grandmother who spoke no English raised me and my brothers. And uh, I immediately was aware that we're Puerto Rican, we speak Spanish, that was my first language. And my grandmother would kind of raise us in the house speaking Spanish only. And I remember the first time uh, someone teased us at school about uh, how we were speaking English because it was very not good looking. Um, and I remember that was all it took. And I said, nope, I speak English. And they're like, but your grandmother doesn't. I'm like, well, she's going to learn, you know. And so there was this thing. And then you thrust us into there was no one else around us. I found out there was one other Spanish kid in my school. And then I told my parents, I said, hey, there's this guy in school, his name is Miguel. I think, uh, I think we're family. <laughs> Lo and behold, we actually were. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did not know that his dad was my grandmother's cousin. Um, it's a real thing. It's like, that's why it's like, I always figure someone's related to someone. And so we find that out. And because I, I grew up out of those Spanish-speaking home, you go to a school where everyone's speaking English, so that's already kind of confusing. But on top of that, uh, I never felt uh, like super Puerto Rican in the beginning because it was like, I, I let go of my language. I let go of the thing that made our family us in our neighborhood. And I grew up in a black community. You know, so it was also it was like they would ask me, like, you're not white. I'm like, nope, you're not black. Mm -mm. And they're like, what are you? I'm, like, I'm Puerto Rican. Like, and like, what's that mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm figuring that out still. And that happened all through grade school. And if you're familiar with Orlando at all, if you've been here, once I got to East Orlando when I was in middle school, I said, everybody's Puerto Rican. I said, no one speaks English here. And I'd be like, hey, me too. Like, I'm Puerto Rican as well. And they'd be like, no, you're not. And I'm like, dang it. Like, where do I fit and who are my people? So yeah, there's a lot of cultural influences there that sometimes you never felt super at home in either one. It was like you move in and through, and I don't know if this is familiar for anyone else, you would, you would code switch. You would figure out, like, this is who this room needs me to be, and then that one needs you to be. And then someone from the other group that you were around would go, well, you're not like that when you're with us. Like, but it still feels inherent, like, who I am. Like, why is it into question? Um, and you felt like you'd had to prove it or everything else. And so, yeah, that's, that's some of the makeup of the setting and the background there was that it took me, it took me into almost late into middle school and high school to really love the cultural influence and background where it's like, I love who I am or I love this part of our story, you know, so, yeah. And, and for me, you know, um, it's funny, like talking to a lot of my Airbnb guests, you know, people from all over the world come and stay in my house and, um, you know, I get talking, they're like, oh, are you from Orlando? And I'm like, no, actually I'm from Northern Ireland. And they're like, what's that? <laughs> it's like, well, there's this other country 
that's even smaller than Ireland that just sits on top of it. And the best way that I like to explain like my culture of origin, it's like it, it is kind of this, this melting pot. So Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, which is Scotland, England, Wales, Northern Ireland. And um, it's, it's, you know, so it's not part of the Republic. Um, the Republic of Ireland would be about 90% Catholic and about 10% Protestant, where the North, it's usually about 50-50. Generally, historically, it's been a little bit more Protestant because the English sent people to settle in the North, which was to just to basically take the land from the Irish um, who were living there, who would be predominantly Catholic, um, and establish like these areas. And so it was like the highest concentration of Protestants. So when Ireland um, had its kind of rebellion against the crown, they got the southern half, the northern half remained part of um, the United Kingdom. So the way that I grew up, it, it culturally what makes us different from the Republic is that we're, we're a little bit English and we're a little bit Irish. Um, which means uh, that we have a great sense of humor. And it's, the joke in Northern Ireland is like, we're, we're really good at self-deprecation. I'm not particularly good at it, but generally speaking, all Northern Irish people are. Um, and so there was already, already a mix there. Like that's a complex cultural identity to hold. But I was raised, and, and thankfully my parents aren't like this, um, but you know, in our country there was civil strife for like 50 years, and my parents grew up in that. Um, my mom, you know, she worked at a hospital, at the main hospital in Belfast when she was, just before she met my dad when she was like 19, and she said she remembers being called down to the emergency room to check this guy's hearing um, because he'd been setting a car bomb and it went off in his face. Um, so he doesn't have any hands, but she's there to check and see if he can hear. And she said, that's normal. Like that was a normal cultural thing um, for her. Um, you know, my dad, you know, every wall has, I remember my earliest memories of our church in, in Northern Ireland is like high walls with barbed wire on top of them and pieces of glass because the Catholics were going to come and, you know, throw bottles over whatever, you know, like, so I associated church with that um, growing up. Um, and so, you know, moving to this country and it's like, you know, we moved to Michigan. The first person of color that I went to school with was in the eighth grade. Like it was a very small white town in Michigan. A lot of you from the Midwest, you'll know that experience. Um, and it, it was, it was strange because it's like, we kind of spoke the same language. Um, but there was some nuance there and different words that we'd use, you know, that like, um, fries are chips, and chips are crisps, and you have to learn how to look the different direction. You know, so as I always felt disoriented as a little kid, especially because I couldn't really reconcile that. And like, Laura, many of you know Lauren, we talk about it all the time. Like, she gets people always like poke fun at her for her accent. She's also from Northern Ireland. Her accent's worse than mine ever was. Good grief, <laughs> poor girl. Um, but like. I get triggered when I see people like telling her, like, say this word, say this word, because that was my childhood, you know, and you're like, ugh. So I always, I remember kind of processing this with the Lord like six years ago, and I was like, I always feel like I'm like three feet to the left of where I'm supposed to be. Mm. Like I'm, I'm close to being in the right place, but never quite fitting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that that's what's so key about we, we oversimplify ideas like culture of origin or our faith of origin or whatever and just say, I'm this. Because we love, as human beings, we love to categorize each other, right? Well, what are you? It's like we, we have this other joke in Northern Ireland. You go, what are you? Are you a Protestant or Catholic? And you say, well, I'm an atheist. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, are you a Protestant atheist or a Catholic atheist, you know? Um, we love to categorize one another and put a label on each other that says, this is who you are. But the reality is many of us have a complex setting. And, and what we find in this story, like this guy has this cultural setting, like he's known for this thing in this place, and when Jesus performs a miracle in his story, they go, no, but you're, you're from there. Like that's who you are. I can't reconcile with this new thing. Mm -hmm. uh, which brings us to the second part, I think the more dynamic piece, that the plot of our stories takes shape when we open up to allow God to bring health, or to bring healing and redemption. Um, and I think Redemption can sometimes be letting go of things that don't serve us or serve the kingdom, like qualities within us from our culture of origin, our family of origin, our faith of origin. Um, but it can also be redemption where God sees the raw goodness there and goes, I really love that. I'm just going to help that to work a little bit more in my kingdom way. So um, for, for you, Shav, like what, uh, what are some gifts of your culture of origin or your family of origin especially? Um, and then what are some of those norms that you think you've needed to see redeemed? 
Yeah, I think uh, some of the stuff that I've loved, like like I said, it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. But once I did, it was interesting hearing you said the first person in color you knew was in eighth grade, because I, I think you were my first white friend, <laughs> and I was 30 I'm, years old. I'm, like, yeah, and I'm technically know, not white. Yeah, I'm not I know, and that's why I was like, come on! <laughs> I was like, I was so close. I was like, how did that happen? And you're like, I'm not white. It's like, back to the drawing board, guys. <laughs> like, like, it's gonna happen. But yeah, I always think of having these moments throughout, like, growing up. Uh, the faith origin stories are always interesting to me because I didn't feel like I had one um, because I didn't start going to church or have a relationship with Jesus. So I was almost 20 years old and it felt very much like I thought all churches were the same it's from the outside looking in. And then for those of you guys who grew up in it, maybe you're like, no, don't, no, they're not. And I was like, that was news to me. So even sometimes like the sharing of the piece and you guys say it back, I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> like, like where did that come from? You know, there's like this different thing. And one of the things I can uniquely like look back at, okay, so what do I offer? What part of just being myself, what does that come in even within the family of faith? And I would realize like, I never knew that celebration was something that just felt like inherently something we did. I mean, we celebrate everything at home. We, I mean, every party, every, you know, we, you've been there for birthday parties. It's, it's, it's wild and it's fun and it's loud. And I've seen God really bring that into our own story and how we celebrate a lot of big wins um, for people within our culture uh, or in our community, but also just how like, I didn't feel like I needed to, like, temper that. Like, no, I, 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 there's a lot of energy. Like, it's taking everything for me to sit in this chair right now. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I want to move. I want to get up. I got to go, you know? And, like, some of that, I noticed, like, that comes into uh, things that I've really enjoyed. I, I, I tell you all the time, I feel like God's uh, gift to the, the body is uh, he sent Latinos to show you uh, hospitality. You know, he, he, it's the gift of God for us to like really come in and be like, no, let's, let's be around the table. Let's, let's get together. Like, are you hungry? You didn't eat enough. Like, let's get you more food. Like, why are you so skinny? Like, let's get you right. You know, it's like this whole thing of like, hey, come in to this day, which is actually becoming a problem. My parents don't lock their door. And I'm like, Bobby, you got to lock the door. He's like, and then nobody can get in. I'm like, that's the point of a lock. <laughs> like, you lock the door so that people don't get in. He's like, no, but what if the people who need to get in can't? And I'm like, okay, interesting, but also, like, let's protect you. Or my mom, to this day, they're, they're, they're empty nesters, right? And they still cook in, in a caldero, like in this huge pot. And I'm telling my mom, like, you're wasting food. Like, it's not a waste. He's like, because you show up with your kids, and then you, this one shows up, and then Titi's across the street, and if someone wants to come and eat, like, everyone eats. And I've really loved that that has filtered through how... I, I approach church. Doors should never be locked. Everyone should always get fed. Have you eaten enough? Like, who's that guy? Who cares? Give him a plate. Like, there's no hierarchy at the table. The table levels it all. And that's what drew me to Jesus. Which is like, oh, he's inviting us to a big table. I know what to do at a table. I'm like, yo, pass this. You know, I'm like, why is he eating like he lives here? Because I do. Because I like it here. And I like the food. I like the company. He's acting like he runs the place. I feel comfortable here, you know, and I felt like that really was something I brought in. I've realized that for some folks, that's very uncomfortable, maybe. Or I, I remember going to a friend's house and them saying, can I be excused from the table? I said, to go where? Like, we're all eating together. Like, that's what happens. And they would go, I don't know, God bless you. If you ate in your room, oh, my God. Yeah. I said, ooh, <laughs> like, you can't eat in your room. Are you crazy? You eat at the table. In our house, you let mommy go first. Like, there's this whole thing. Like, and I see how a lot of that has come in. And there's also been this, there's, there's pitfalls. Sometimes within uh, the, the Latino community, there's like this idea of machismo. It's this idea, I notice a lot of it, there's this pride, um, a lot of ego. You're like, that's not a Latino thing, that's a human thing. I hear you. But I would notice that there were certain things that was like, well, we don't talk about that. Why? You know, or, hey, well, you know, certain things you just, you know, whatever happens in the house stays in the house. I'm like, we need to talk about what's happening in the house. If it's staying in the house, but we're also not talking about it in the house, then who's talking about it? And then you're sitting in front of your therapist at 35 going, you know, I think we should have talked about what was happening in the house. 
you know, there's all those things that I've needed to see that redeemed. And so I, I've been very fortunate that my parents um, have followed, led at times, um, and when necessary, have followed the lead of us saying, things need to be different and saying, well, we're Puerto Rican, that's just how it goes. Okay, and like, now what then? Like, that shouldn't be the end of a conversation. That's how we've always done it. It doesn't work. And that's been the most uncomfortable thing as an adult is realizing some of the stuff that you've been handed, you're like, I don't like that. It doesn't work. Um, and then having to reconcile those things and there is the beauty of figuring out like what does that look like and how does Jesus, how does the Lord bring those things into being able to also bless them and when necessary letting them go. Yeah, I think, you know, as, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about like specifically, you know, being an immigrant would be a big part of my story. So I'm bringing this Northern Irish identity over here. Um, and, you know, we grew up, uh, many of you know my parents, you know, my dad was ordained in the Church of Ireland, which is an Anglican church, so it's diet Catholic, which is, makes it so funny that we were, like, fighting each other for hundreds of years because we're basically the same thing. Like, they like Mary more than we do, you know? Um, but, you know, growing up, I always knew, like, well, we're not the biggest denomination in the culture, that's the Baptists. And so they have the most jokes. We get the most jokes about them. Like, how do you get a Baptist to stop drinking all your liquor? Well, invite over a second Baptist. Ah. See, anybody know that one? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, but, you know, so growing up with this awareness, like I don't quite fit because I'm an immigrant. And I also don't quite fit in what it means to be Christian for a lot of people because you grew up Anglican here. It was the Episcopalian church. Um, so I was very detached from like the evangelical movement, for example, that a lot of you would have grown up with or the Pentecostal movement. Like I didn't know a lot of Pentecostals. Um, so we had no illusion. I never grew up with any illusion that I was like part of like any kind of dominant group. Um, and we also grew up not particularly political. Like in my family, we talked about things and stuff, and we were very, you know, we aware of the news, but we didn't grow up with this, like, if you are Christian, you vote Republican. That's what you do because pro-life or whatever. Or conversely, like, if you vote Democrat, obviously you've been possessed by Satan. Like, <laughs> we never grew up with any of that. So when I started to, like, one of the gifts of being an immigrant is you kind of have this detached distance from observing American culture. And it's, and it's woven, and this is kind of the next part, but it's woven into part of what I feel is my gift and my best contribution to the world mm. to say, um, I can see from a distance how much Americanism there is in many people's Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Stanley Hauerwas says, like most American Christians can't read the Bible because they're Americans before they're Christians. And we just think it's all kind of the same thing. And like being an immigrant, I go, it's not. Like, I, I don't know if you guys can see this because you're so steeped in it. Um, but one of the things that I really need to see redeemed in that is um, there's this thing called emotional intelligence uh, that my culture does not possess. <laughs> Um, we are a stoic people and it's very much the British influence like stiff upper lip like what do you do when things get hard like you you stay calm and carry on like you know there's you, you guys witness some of this like through British television but it's very real and you shut off your heart and you just do what's expected of you you don't step out of line too much you don't strive this is one of my favorite things about Americans is like the just the idea that you would strive for something like that you'd start your own company like back home you go I don't know there's this Irish phrase called taking the soup and what would and it means like back in the day the English would send um, missionaries to Ireland and they would set up a soup kitchen but you couldn't get any soup until you sat through a Protestant church service. So once you did that, so taking the soup means you cheated in some way in order to get ahead. And so in Irish and British culture, we're very suspicious of anybody who's successful because they may be cheated. Like you have to conform and you have to stay. And so it's very much within me, like that's my natural position. And so coming here, and I think over the past 10 years, especially so much of what Jesus has done in my life is to help like me to become more emotionally intelligent and, and to feel more to risk the attachment of feeling deeply, um, to risk actually dreaming and having aspirations, like this idea of like even writing a book, like that kind of thing is like, yeah, like that, I need Jesus to redeem that because I don't want to be held back 
by the setting of my story. Um, which leads us to the, the third and final piece, like by understanding what God has done in our stories, we can proclaim to others that there is hope in the healing touch of Jesus. And we see this in this story with this man. It's like he puts it in the most simple terms. I once was blind, but now I see. You know, that's God, the God who turns curses into blessings. That's what we're talking about here with like, this is what grace looks like. And it's the pattern of all of our stories. So, Shaw, for you, you mentioned it a little bit with like, with the table, but like, how is your understanding now of like family or culture or faith of origin shaped like your vocation, like what you feel is your best contribution to the world? Yeah, I think it's, it's at the root. It's at the, the bedrock of not only what we do in our ministry, but just how I show up in the world, um, which has been really beautiful. I, I know we, we talked uh, about this in the podcast, but like, it feels like rhythm. It feels like rhythm feels like the most sure thing that I can offer as best as I can explain. Like, at if quick salsa lesson, real quick, all right? Um, a clave. Does anybody know the clave for salsa? No, it's the rhythm. It's the cadence, kind of like uh, in disco, four to the floor for you music folks. Well, in salsa, which we're all going to take classes, uh, in salsa, um, there's a clave. And I can't clap it right now, but hold this for me. Right? It's rhythm. It's I could find that wherever we are. It's kind of like you. Thank you, Pat. Um, so I could find that anywhere. And it felt like one of the things I noticed, and the reason why I say rhythm, is because my walk with God started to feel like we get so rigid in our walk with God. If you obsess over that clave, you're going to dance off beat. But when it just sort of is something that moves intrinsically through your body, you start to realize, why does this feel different? You're on beat. <laughs> like that's rhythm you ever feel that in your life and maybe it's not dancing because some of you guys are like, I would never dance but you feel it in your life you notice when you're in a groove you're like what feels different you're on beat there's a rhythm there's a cadence to your life and I think that that's the adventure with God is that what's the rhythm for my life right now and sometimes what can feel really restricted is like this is what it looks like you pray at this time you go at church at this time you go for this long you join a small group you pray at this time you read this amount of time there's blessing to the to the structure of it but the rhythm and the the freedom is the actual gift is when you start to go oh like now I feel like I'm in I, I, I'm on beat I'm living from this freedom and I noticed that in my life like most of the time if I if I feel out of whack or if I feel out of sorts I'm like am I on beat right now it's like who who changes the beat you know or like who 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 changed the rhythm of what's happening in my life and I've noticed how that's kind of like what roots me is that rhythm. And then the family stuff, I, I say this all the time, we, our community started because we met with some friends and we're like, hey, I, we're either gonna all find a church together or we're gonna start one. And it was like, well, what does that look like? And someone in the room just stood up and they're like, hey, I, I've never been to church before. And I'm like, cool, me neither. <laughs> like, that's, that was my story. I had never been to until I was. And they said, well, I think church should feel like your parents' house. And I'm like, yeah, I love that. Like, it, it should feel like, you know, home and family. Like, no, no, like, Shav, like, your parents' house. And I'm like, it's loud there. There's a lot of choice words. There's a lot of action. There's people that you don't recognize. Or, and I'm like, what are we? I'm like, oh, wait. I kind of like this. I'm like, oh, tell me more about my parents' house. Like, what, what do they do there that you like? <laughs> They're like, I like that everyone gets to eat. I'm like, oh, I like, I like that. And kind of what I alluded to before, I said, what if we did church? And like, when people walked in, it was just like a dinner table in the middle. And like people, you know, some people would just sit down and eat and others like, what's going on? Give us rows, right? Like we're sitting in rows. And it's interesting. I've heard one person say it this way, that we spend most of our lives acting as if, uh, or speaking to rows in church, when in fact our lives are lived in circles. And I was like, that's what my family taught me. My family taught me that all of the stuff that really matters and brings value is like the stuff that happens in a circle. It's like, okay, yeah, like what's going on in our lives, but what's going on at the dinner table? Like who, who are you rubbing elbows with? And one of the things that we really share in common is that I've realized like that's not just my story. 
there's things that you really value that you bring and I'm like your table might serve different stuff there's different stuff shepherd's at the pie table. baby yeah shepherd's pie I said what's this I said not dessert but meat's pie I'm like okay I'm like is it like a Jamaican beef patty and they're like no it's not I'm like okay tell me more so there's different things and he you know that we all offer something to the table and that's really what I love I would never have known it but that all those years my parents were teaching me how to do church my parents were teaching me how to do community. My culture was allowing me to find the rhythm. The person that I was was giving me access to something that later on in my life and up until this point has really served us. And one of the things that I love about even my kids is that when I tell them, hey, we're gonna do church, their question isn't where are we going, they're asking who's coming over. Mm. And I love that. I say, hey, we're doing church together. He's like, well, who's coming? And I'm like, you get it? <laughs> <laughs> like at the mouth of babes because for them it's like well who, who who's coming and where it's not about a building for us it's about the people that you do life with the people who open up your fridge and make themselves at home it's that and i've loved how that i've realized like i don't have to be any one way like and i know we were going to land there so i'll let you talk it first but man jesus is so much bigger than even the stuff we do. I'll give you a nugget from one of my therapy sessions. My therapist tells me like, you're trying to hold on to the things you value the most with like a strong grip. And I'm like, yeah, because it matters to me. So you clutch it. And she's like, yeah, well, uh, for example, something that really matters to you, Bennett up there, no one's clutching Bennett strongly like that. You, you hold something that you really care about gently. And she's like, think of it as like a bar of soap. If you hold a bar of soap really tight, what's gonna happen? Like, you're gonna lose it. She's like, exactly. It's like there's certain things in your life that I encourage you to start holding on to more loosely, and that doesn't mean that it lacks any amount of value or that it's moving value, but in fact, you actually care about it enough to say, I don't wanna drop this. I don't wanna lose this. And I think that's the cultural part. Like Jesus is inviting us into this world. It's like, hey, Shav, all those Shavisms, love that. There's room for that here but also don't hold on to it so tight that you can't learn from the body. That's the gift of the body of Christ is that there's so many parts that make up one, that there's this invitation to say, so much bigger than you. I love that that's part of your story. Let's make room, church, for all the stories in the room, right, or in the space, but also let's hold them loosely enough to be able to transcend them and say there's more to this, and guess what? It's found in Jesus. Yeah. I love that. And I think, I think for me, like my grandfather would be rolling over in his grave if he knew how many Catholics that I quote, you know? Um, like two of my, my mom's mom, my, gran that, my maternal grandmother, two of her siblings got married to Catholics and they had to go to England. They had to elope to go and do it because they couldn't do it in country. You know what I mean? Like I have, um, I have a second cousin who's He's half Catholic. He had, he had a Catholic name. He changed his name so that he could join the Orange Order, which is like a Protestant social club where you go out and you bang drums and play pipes as close to the Catholic neighborhood as you can. You just to rub it in a little bit, you know? Um, but one of the things that I've recognized, especially out of my story and more like personalities we'll talk about next week is like, man, like God has given me a heart for reconciliation. And reconciliation means to bring things together. Literally, the word means to be made friends again. And so I, when I look over my story to see the grace of God, I see like him bringing me to a point where I just got this place of like, man, if something leads me towards Jesus, I want it. If it's Catholic, if it's Orthodox, if it's Pentecostal, if it's Lutheran, like I want it. I don't. I'm not interested in the, the borders and those definitions and being stuck inside of my own Anglicanism, just saying, well, this is the one true church and every, you know, like I'm not interested in that. Um, but also being an immigrant coming to this culture and saying like, I want all of these things together. Like y'all, the, the amount of like pastors that I talk to and they want to ask about our church and especially the political makeup of our church. And I tell them, I'm like, all my liberals think they're the only ones, and this is a church full of conservatives, and all my conservatives think that they're the only one, and that's a church full of liberals, and I love that. If y'all started talking to each other a little bit more, you'd find out that's not true, but like this, what we're doing is incredibly rare, yeah. because churches in this country have chosen sides. Yeah. And they've said it's more important 
that we have a conservative Jesus, or it's more important that we have a liberal Jesus, then we genuinely see exactly what you're talking about. Like every person, every story has its, there's no story that's outside of Jesus. That he goes, I can't do anything with that. I can't do anything with those people. And for us to take that really seriously, where Jesus starts to bring down those dividing walls of hostility within us. And that, to me, you know, that becomes part of my, the way I see the world is through reconciliation and the bringing together of these things that in our human prejudices, we have erected these dividing walls and said, oh, no, not those people. Oh, no, not that, that way of doing Christianity or whatever it is and saying, no, I think it all belongs. Um, so we want to... We want to turn it on to you guys. Um, you know, we said like this series, we want it to be um, a way for you to kind of start gaining some language for what your calling might be. So I want all of you to, to take out your phones and start up a new note. I encourage you to have a note for this entire series. Um, and there's kind of two parts to this uh, reflection. The first, you're just going to take, take an inventory of the setting of your, of your story. Um, you could focus in on just one of those or a couple. I'm going to give you about two minutes for this one. Maybe it's your family of origin. Um, what are some of the family commandments that you intuited growing up? Um, maybe it's your culture. Um, everybody has a culture, um, but there would be things kind of in in the air, you know, that were that shaped who you are. Or maybe it's your faith inheritance, whether you grew up in the church, you came to Christ later on, you came from a different religion, whatever it might be, just to know that that's there. Like nobody comes to Jesus purely objectively. So I'm going to give you two minutes um, to consider that and like what's one quality that you want to carry with you that you're like, I think this belongs in the kingdom. And what's one thing that you, re- you want to redeem and go, I need to hold that a little bit more loosely because I think that's something that Jesus wants to bring healing to. Um, and then we'll move on to the second piece. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you two minutes for the first piece and then I'll call us back for the second. So um, Lord, I thank you for the incredible diversity of stories that are in this room right now, um, that we've all come from somewhere. And you look upon those stories and you see something that you can work with whether it's to bless things and to amplify them, or it's to take some raw materials of our stories uh, and to redeem them and to make them work for the kingdom instead of against us, where we feel trapped or stuck that we can't change, like we're only ever going to be these particular labels. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us, as as Shav is sharing, to hold what we value loosely, more tenderly, because it matters to us, that we won't choke the life out of our stories uh, because we're so afraid that someone's going to take it from us. Um, but that we really allow your light to shine, to show us what to bless and what to offer up to you for redemption. Um, so speak, Lord, for we're listening. You set a timer for two minutes. And then for the second part, you know, if, so if that's kind of the, the question about setting, the next one's about plot. So this is about movement. This is about the hand of God at work in your story. Um, so thinking more about, you know, this, this man in this story when he says, I once was blind, but now I see. Number one, as you look over the darker themes of your life setting, what are one or two internalized messages that you've lived out of? Um, this like, you know, did this man sin or his parents? Like, isn't this the guy who oh, sat the wall? You know, those kinds of things. Maybe it was a message from your family of origin or a culture that says, well, you're just supposed to be this. Like some kind of, one of those darker messages that, that has, you know, that you lived out of in an unhealthy way. And then what specific attribute of the character of God has been most precious to you as you've opened your story to God's healing touch? So for example, maybe, maybe your story is one marked out by rejection you felt a constant rejection and it was God's acceptance of you that brought healing and salvation. Maybe you felt overlooked or abandoned or unseen and it was like, it was the tenderness of God to see you, to call you by name. You know, like there's, there's different ways of looking at that um, and what is the redemption that you found? And then thirdly, my challenge to you would be, can you put it in that same format um, as, as this man who was born blind to say, I once was this, but now because of the grace of God in my life, 
this is where I'm at today. So I'm going to give you about four or five minutes to work through this one. So I'll give you time to continue working on that if, if you feel like there's things that are coming and the Lord's, um, you know, just speaking to you in that. Um, but if you're ready, I want to invite you to stand as we step into a time of worship. Um, I think sometimes this idea of salvation is communicated to us that it's so uniform. Like you pray this prayer and now you're saved and that's kind of the end. And you're like, well, well what am I saved from? And then you hear like sin. And you're like, okay, that's real general. You know, like, well, what does it mean to be Christian? It's like, well, to follow Jesus. You're like, okay, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's when we really begin to open up our individual stories and go, what, am, what does salvation actually look like to me? Like, where have I come from? How has Jesus entered into my story and looked me directly in the eyes and said, this is what I'm doing for you. This is how I want to set you free. This is how I want to bring you healing. And the more we begin to name it, we go, oh my goodness, like this, this is what salvation has looked like in my life. It's not this kind of uniform plug and play cookie cutter Christianity but it's really embracing our own stories. And then we begin to realize, oh my goodness, like here are the specific ways. You know, Jesus never heals the same way twice, right? Like when we see this in the gospels, like it's always different. It's, all, it's, he, it's like he just knows us and he comes up and it's like, well, for one person, he's like, do you believe I can do this? Because that person needed to be asked that question, you know? I think about my two of my favorite healing stories, like the woman who's you know been bleeding for 12 years, and she reaches out and she takes from Jesus. Like she's aggressive, right? She's taken it, and he's like, that's awesome. But then there's the other guy, and he comes up and it's like he kneels in front of Jesus. He's a leper, and he's just like, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Like he's so broken, he can't even ask. And he's like, yeah, you got it. You know what I mean? Like his his healing for you is so particular and it's so tender to you and your story and the more that you begin to open that up the more you receive that grace in your life that says this is the journey that I'm taking you on and over time as you articulate that story to yourself then you begin to turn out to the world and you see other people who are living similar stories and you go hey I once was blind but now I see and you there's an authority when you speak out of what you have experienced with Jesus um, that there's no amount of weekend seminars or classes that you can take that give you that kind of authority. Like it comes because it's something that you've actually lived. And you can be like this man where you stand before the Sanhedrin and you're like, this is what I can tell you. This is what happened in my life. Take it or leave it. You know what I mean? So this week we're going to be continuing to bless this idea of story that God turns curses into blessings. And as we worship, uh, I just want you to be open to continue to let the Holy Spirit speak to you um, about your particular story, the setting of it and the plot. So Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are a God who turns curses into blessings. That there is no culture, there is no family of origin, there is no faith of origin story that is outside uh, of your love. But you look upon all of us, what we have experienced in our lives up to this point, where we've come from, and you see things that you can work with, whether they just need to be amplified and glorified and, and brought into the kingdom, or if they're things that maybe need to be disassembled or disentangled because they're holding us back, that we sometimes hold ourselves back by, the own, by our own setting. Um, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you continue to speak to each one of us and say, this is what this story has looked like in your life. This is what grace has looked like. Here's where you were, and here's where you are today. And I pray, Lord, that you would give each one of us vision of where it is that you want to take us tomorrow. What's the next thing that bears redemption in our stories? What's the next part of our story that's still kind of enslaving us or holding us back or keeping us small that you say, I want to set you free from that? Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us um, a vision, a map for what this continual salvation of our lives looks like so that we might tell good stories to the world around us in a way that it makes you known that you are a God who turns curses into blessings. So bless us, Lord, as we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. 
Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner, which is great because they've already decided they think they know who Jesus is. They've already boxed him and they've already said, no, he's the totality of his own story. He can't move past that. The man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I hope you recognize, you know, for many of us, especially I think who grew up in the church and we're so used to these words like grace and salvation and all these things like, the, there's such power when it has specificity to our individual stories. And it's the same God, it's the same spirit, it's the same Jesus who meets each one of us in whatever that was, who redeems our cultures of origin, who redeems our families of origin, who redeems our, our faith journeys, whatever they might be, yet still brings us into this new family of God, where we say the thing that binds us together isn't just our cultural affiliations or that we have the same background or that we talk the same way or we look the same way. The thing that binds us together is Jesus and that we take that so seriously that we put that above every other dividing wall of hostility that, the, that humanity insists that we're meant to maintain. That we live this radically different way because we are the family of God and that we've been given one another as brothers and sisters. So my encouragement to you this week is to spend some time in prayer journaling and saying, Lord, in my story, how have I already seen this transition from being blind to seeing? But are there things in my story that I still haven't opened up to you, that I've still held too tightly, things that I value out of my worldview, out of my family, um, out of my culture, whatever it might be, that I'm holding on to so tightly because I'm so afraid that if I let this go, it might not define me anymore that I actually need your healing touch to open it up and to say what actually is of you and what is not. So that's my challenge to all of you this week. Um, I still have more copies of the book for sale out there in the lobby by all means. Go and get one, please. I need to get these boxes out of my house um, and get in the top, top selling list, you know, so that would be, that's not gonna happen. I gotta, I gotta compete with John Mark Comer, come on. That'd be nice, but um, by all means, go grab a book. Next week, we're going to be focusing in on personality. So if you would uh, extend your hands uh, to receive uh, this benediction from my own heritage, an ancient Irish blessing. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness. May he protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home once again through our doors. Amen. See you all next week. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.